0: We all have a responsibility to improve mental health together. We aren't supposed to do it alone. We shouldn't do it alone. And so while I think that counseling and therapy are really good things to access, we can't always rely on them. We can rely on the people in our lives, and we should. We should have those vulnerable conversations, and when we need help, or if we need to just talk to somebody, we need to be doing that.
1: Hey now, it's Dan Eberhardt here, and welcome to the Growing the Future podcast, where we talk to folks who like to innovate, collaborate, and transform the agricultural industry. Thank you so much for joining us for Season 5, Episode 8. Today is going to be a very special episode, folks, I guarantee you that. I have a childhood friend on the podcast, someone who I got to know through our, our parents and and lives just a stone throw, throw from the farm. And she has done a very special thing that I'm very proud of her for. And that is she has written a book about mental health and her life experiences and her advice to you on how to navigate the sometimes choppy waters of our lives. I think we all experience that. I know I had a mental health yesterday. I wish that we had done the podcast yesterday, although I wasn't in a good state of mind. So maybe it's good we're doing it today. But you have you have something to look forward to if you've ever had any form of strife or anxiety in your in your life. So we're gonna to talk to her about that. But before I introduce today's esteemed guest, I would just I'd like you to check out the Aberhart family of companies online with AberhartFarms.com, where we grow food to feed the world in Langeberg, Saskatchewan, not far from today's guests farm, suregrowth.ca, where we offer precision agronomy consulting services there. Convergencegrowth.com, where we accelerate solutions across food, health, and agriculture. And neighborhoodagsolutions.ca, where we deliver one of a kind fertility solutions of the future to your farm. And you can get notified about all of our new episodes by signing up for our newsletter at growingthefuturepodcast.ca. My next guest is a journalist by trade and a farmer by choice. Interesting choice of words. She has recently written a memoir that tells the story of her battles with depression and anxiety. She has made it her life's work to start more discussions around advocating for agriculture, for women, and for mental health. And she works hard to help others stay small town strong when things get tough. I love that, small town strong, because that is a thing anyone from a small town can attest. Today, we're going to talk about her background, her perspective, where she comes from in a rural community. We're going to talk about why she wrote this book, and we're going to talk about what's in the book, and we're going to talk about how this can have an impact on your life in an industry that we all know to be a little bit challenging on the <laughs> mental health front. Have you ever had a wrench thrown at your head by a loved one, <laughs> or had someone that in the past you didn't know what was wrong with them, we now know more, and, and Llewellyn's here to educate us. Welcome to the show, Llewellyn Melnick.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Dan. It is great to talk
1: to you. Well, I am honored. I knew that you were on this journey. I've been watching you on social media and I saw that you were writing a book and I was very excited for the finished product. And I see that you have accomplished Mount Everest there to come up with a completed book. And now it's out. And then I saw you on the news and had to have you on the show so tell us, I guess we should start at a little bit about your background and the context of who you are, where you're from, and, and your perspective, where you see the world from. Start there.
0: Sure. So I grew up on a farm just north of Russell, Manitoba. We were a grain farm. And so we now, I guess, would be called a third generation farm. My brother is still running our family farm with my dad and my sister, my mom and my sister in law, and so I grew up there and was like any other farm kid. I had my shop cats and my bicycles and my garden and all the things, <laughs> and I lived a pretty charmed life on the farm. Honestly, I did grow up in the eighties though, and so you know what the eighties were like. It was kind of tough, and so I struggled with depression as a child, as a 12 year old. And so I, I had like this struggle with growing up on the farm because it's not that I necessarily didn't like the farm life. I loved it, but I really struggled with my mental health and the environment that I was in was maybe not the best to nourish my mental health. And so it was, it was kind of a struggle because when you grow up in a rural community, you're pretty isolated and there's not a lot of supports for you there. And so I struggled as a child and a lot of, I write in my book, a lot of that I kind of attributed to the farm just because it was, okay, well, there we couldn't go anywhere to a school dance or we couldn't go to a family wedding or we couldn't do some of the things because it was seeding time or it was harvest time and, and the farm was everything. And so it was, I guess, hard for me to understand at a young age that the farm came first. And, and so in my head, I kind of read that I came last, which wasn't necessarily the case, but as a 12-year-old's perspective, I struggled with that. I struggled with it.
1: So I write about that. When you talk about anxiety and depression as a 12-year-old in the 80s, I can really relate because I would say that I also had some mental health issues as a younger person growing up in the same era, in the same set of circumstances. But we knew nothing. We had no understanding. We had no awareness. and And, and we had no social media at that time to even follow these. We didn't have the internet. How did we even know what was the affliction that you speak of? And what what did you experience?
0: So we didn't know. You're right. Like, I didn't know as a 12-year-old what was wrong. I just remember having a conversation with my mom and just telling her, like, I don't want to live anymore. Like, I just had no zest for life at all. And I didn't know why. I had really no self-awareness whatsoever. And at 12, like, you don't really know what depression even is, right? Like, I didn't really understand what was going on. And so she took me to the pediatrician and we tried to get help. But you're right. It was, we were just in a spot where it was like, I don't know why I'm feeling this way. And can anyone tell me? No, nobody really knows why. And and here we are. Okay, how do we deal with this? So the flip side of that is like, wow, we are eons ahead of that now, right? And so, I just think if my daughter was in the same situation, gosh, I would have a. T- I'm armed with so much knowledge now, right? Like I could help her. But I mean, back then we didn't really talk about mental health at all. We didn't really discuss it. We didn't know any way to improve it. That's for sure. Like it just wasn't something that people talked about. So, yeah it it was it was difficult at that time, and so. I guess writing this book was just all of the knowledge that I've acquired since that time and all of the help that I've found over my 41 years here on this earth. And and I have learned so much and gathered so much information that I really just wanted to share with people and put it all kind of in one place so that if you're struggling, okay, what can you do? This is, this is a handbook for you.
1: Sweet. So where began... The, the dawn of understanding, and how did that translate to writing a book?
0: Well, the dawn of understanding. I won't say there was like, oh, we turned a page, and all of a sudden I feel amazing because <laughs> it's not how it works, unfortunately. But it was a ton of learning over a long period of time. So I just feel like in the last few years, especially when COVID hit, actually, when people were talking about they were struggling I struggled for so long. So when I heard people talking about it, I was like, well, this is what I do. And this is what helps me. And so I just realized that there was like this need that there were so many people who didn't know what to do when they were struggling with their mental health. Because I, I think traditionally, there are people who struggle often Maybe more than others, but we all struggle with mental health. And then during that time, it was like everyone was relating, right? Everyone kind of understood what was going on, and we all kind of had those feelings. And so I had an awakening that, oh, I can help people. Like I know what to do, but I feel like crap. And so let me write this down. So yeah, I just kind of decided one day that I had to put something together to help other people because it was kind of calling on my heart. I had lived the experience. I had the know-how to write. I was trained in journalism, and so the two kind of meshed together. And so that's the result.
1: When you say we all feel this way, can you, can you tell me more about that? How do you see that? Or what has your experience been communicating with others about this kind of thing?
0: So I think when I say we all feel this way, we all have mental health. Health, physical health, mental health, we have both. Like we all experience health in different ways. And mental health is something that can be like waves. So you're going to have like really good days and then you're going to have really bad days. And it's the same with our physical health. Our mental health is exactly the same. You're going to have an ebb and flow kind of thing. But I just find there's so much power in sharing our stories. And so Lots of times if I open up and talk to somebody about my story, they'll come back with, I have experienced that. I know exactly what you're talking about, or I went through this. And so I'm even finding just with my book coming out, there's lots of people reaching out to me just to share their experiences. Well, one of the best things to improve our mental health is to talk. That is the best thing. And so sharing our stories is so super valuable, so valuable. And that in itself is it's like gold for your mental health just to talk and just to share. So yeah, I'm finding that people are coming back and saying, I I just need to talk. That's what (laughs) I need to do. And so great. If that's your self-awareness, if that's what you're getting to, that's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, there's a ton of stuff we can do, but let's start there.
1: What do you think prevents folks from addressing it? Because I think, a lot of us travel through life and we never we never address some of our behavior, let alone the underlying causes that are informing that behavior, which is, is essentially subconscious.
0: Yeah. So when you talked about being self-aware, that's where that comes in. So our behavior, maybe we're used to doing something and it's kind of our normal, but when you have kind of a self-reflection, and, and really listen to what's going on. Sometimes your behavior can kind of give you clues, about what's going on. And also even your physical health, because you know, that sometimes the first sign of you struggling is that your physical health can go. And so lots of times, even just recognizing that, recognizing what's going on. And is there something that I'm bothered by, or is there something that's off? And so it's really being self-aware of hard feeling
1: all the time. Llewellyn, when you were writing this book and when you're conveying this information to people, are you more on the technical side of the spectrum when it comes to mental health, like the nuts and bolts, or are you more on the practical side, like, here's what's happening, here's how to fix it, versus all the technical side of what, what could be going on from thousands of hours of therapy, for example. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So I touch on both. And so in my book, it kind of tells my own personal story and then what helped me. So I go through nutrition in one chapter, I go through exercise in another chapter, and how exercise has been like amazing to me. It's, it was one of the tools that I've relied on and I continue to rely on every single day because exercise has really improved the quality of. My life, my mental health, my physical health, everything. But yeah, I go through and kind of break down in chapters. This helped me. What can you do? So what's the best exercise? And nutrition. What's the best nutrition for your mental health? And yeah, if we're going to go to therapy, that's a great thing. But what else can you do? If you're not going to go to therapy, what else can you do? Because we know that there's a lot of reluctancy. And sometimes people don't want to maybe even say that they're struggling. And if you don't want to say that you're struggling, which it's okay, because it's like having a broken arm. If, you, if you're if you struggling with your mental health, there's no shame in saying you struggle with your mental health or you have a broken arm. It's it, There shouldn't be any difference whatsoever. We all deserve help no matter what it is, if you have an ailment. But yeah, each chapter kind of goes through kind of the technical side of things. And then also my own story. So I kind of tie everything together and talk about looking at gratitude and how that can play a role and looking at connection and having important people in your life and talking and also having self-confidence. I mean, there's a lot of times that we struggle with, I'm not good enough, or I'm not doing what I should be, or having some expectations on ourselves, which the best thing I think is knowing who we are, being confident in who we are, and not trying to be anybody that we're not. Like really, honestly, let's put it back to basics. That's a lot of things that can improve your mental health right there. So yeah, I touch on all of those things, technical, you name it, I pretty <laughs> much touch on all of it and then tie in the farming aspect with it. Because a lot of times I struggled with the farm. And so I always kind of blamed the farm and resented the farm. And and that's just not, that was not the cause of my mental illness. I'd like to say that it was, but it wasn't. I wasn't taking time for myself. I wasn't being self-aware. I wasn't doing a lot of things that I could have done to help myself. But um, we do know that living on the farm can be super challenging. And that in itself, this lifestyle is one that does not foster great mental health. And so there are a lot of things that we can be challenged with when we're living on the farm. And so it can be the hours. It can be the stress it can be finances, it can be the lack of self-care, it can be so many things. And so I really think my book is unique because it's a perspective of a female farmer. Okay. So you don't, first of all, read a lot of books from farmers because our rural stories sometimes get lost often and also a female perspective. So it's a little bit different perspective, but I think a good valuable resource for our rural communities.
1: (laughs) That's for sure. Well, you said a lot there and I'm excited to ask you about a few of these things, but I feel like you've alluded to a little bit, but I don't know. Did we get your whole story? You were 12 years old. You didn't know what was happening. You had some issues. I had the same conversation with my father, by the way, now that you mentioned that. I just remember sitting in his office and I don't know why exactly, or what was bothering me at the time, probably around the same age. Cause I think for me, that's kind of when the darkness descended when I hit my teens. But I, I remember sitting with my father and saying, yeah, I was, I was crying and I said, I, I do I really don't want to, I don't want to live. So I can really relate to that. Since then, I felt like that. <laughs> you obviously have some self-awareness. Well, the world isn't ending. You don't really want to go on, but you're gonna, and it's okay. But I mean, at the, at the time it was really foreign. So what happened at 12 years old, you went, you went to this pediatrician. What happened from there? What's your story from there?
0: So they decided that I had whack hormones. And had a chemical imbalance and so put me on birth control pill and and tried to do some things, I guess chemically, to help me balance my hormones. I feel like when you're at that stage of life, like you said, when you're going through your teen years, like there's just so much going on. So, like, try and figure that puzzle out. Honestly, for anyone, I think it's it is hard. But I did, I did improve over time, and I realized. Over time, that a bad day isn't a bad life, and that we're allowed to have bad days, which for a while I kind of thought we weren't. And that's just not true. I mean, we're all allowed to have tough days or tough seasons, and we know that they're not going to last forever, like you said. So that realization was really important. I became a journalist and I loved my job. I loved reporting. I did the news. I thought it was great. I loved writing. And I really enjoyed that part of my life in my twenties, it was an incredible job. I have so many great memories of being a journalist, but I also struggled there too. And it was just habits that I hadn't acquired yet. So not taking time for myself and not looking after myself properly and really just throwing myself into my work. I was a workaholic and a people pleaser and I got stuff done, which is great for an employer, but wasn't always great for me. So I did struggle and ended up moving back to the farm when I married my husband, James. And so that was that was another kind of difficult time for me because I knew moving back to the farm was going to present all the same challenges that I had dealt with before. And so I wasn't sure, okay, do I really want to do this or do I not want to do this? Well, I did love the farm life. Love it. I still love it. And I'm so glad that I am a farmer now and I wouldn't change it. Does that mean I don't struggle? Absolutely not. In my book, I talk about dealing with anxiety as an adult. When my kids were small, I was trying to raise two kids and trying to do everything on the farm that I did before I had kids and didn't take anything off the plate, just kept adding it. Well, that doesn't work. It didn't work. And I got to a point where I just had panic attack after panic attack and the anxiety had a full hold on me again in my thirties. So I had to change things and that was kind of a turning point for me. It was like, Hey, I don't want to do this anymore. This isn't, this isn't how I want to live. So let's do things differently. And that kind of started my journey of what do I need to do? And let's change this. Let's, let's change the everyday and make sure that we're doing the right things every day so that we're not in this place of burnout, anxiety, depression, because that's no place to live. And so, yeah, I, now I'm so thankful for my self-awareness, but gosh, it's taken a lot of time and a lot of learning and a lot of reading and love counselors, but grateful for my journey because I think that it's, it's helping other people know, And in that there's healing for me too. And I'm finding the more I share my story and the more stories that people are sharing with me, it's it's helping both sides.
1: Can you share with us specifically your experience on the panic attacks and and the depression? Because I have experienced panic attacks in my youth completely out of the blue. They were related to reading in class and public speaking, believe it or not. Nobody really believes that because I talk way too much publicly.
0: And you're running a podcast. Look at you. I know.
1: I know, well, it's for me getting on the stage and doing a keynote at a trade show is is like a superpower now. It's like leaping out of a wheelchair and it's still terrifying at times, but, but I really revel in that. When I had those panic attacks in class, specifically when it came to reading, it was something so foreign that overtook me. i never, ever heard of it. Really didn't really know what it was until really decades later. Like, what did you experience? What did you go through? And I think I think for folks to hear your story can really help them relate and set the stage for some of these solutions we'll talk about here shortly.
0: Yeah. So a panic attack, if you've never experienced it for me was sometimes my face would go numb. Sometimes I would pass out. Sometimes I would get really, really hot and then get really, really cold. Sometimes I'd shake my heart would race. So, and that would be the thing that kind of got me is like my chest would get tight. Like it was hard to breathe and my heart would race and, it was an awful 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 feeling and lots of times i would have these in the middle of the night sometimes not even during the day so my kids were really small at that time when this was happening and i would wake up in the middle of the night having this panic attack and i i wouldn't know what was going on well my brain was going 100 miles an hour all day long i would lie down to go to sleep and My body was just telling me like, okay, breathe, but I can't like, so my mind was just going a hundred miles an hour. And that was the result. It wasn't fun. It doesn't feel good. I lost a lot of sleep for a long period of time until I got them under control. The very first one I had happened on an airplane on the way back from a vacation. That was terrifying. Probably for my husband
1: as well. Cause
0: I, I didn't know what was going on (laughs) and you're right until you kind of do some research and read about it. You're like,
1: I don't know what this is. Well, I was going to ask you if James was in the book. James is a big part of the book.
0: He is really helpful for me and grounding and the voice of reason a lot of times. So yeah, he's a blessing. Way to go, James.
1: (laughs) He's a good guy. I sold James a sprayer, by the way.
0: You did. You did sell us a sprayer.
1: (laughs) yeah it's something it's one thing to experience it as well but i think it's also another thing to walk alongside someone who has an invisible disease that you don't understand right that you you just see the behavior and i, I as you're talking too i think about i think about marriages i think about relationships with our children with our parents i think about being a teammate in a company i think about my own behavior I think about taking responsibility for my own well-being so I can be a leader, so I can provide, so I can lead. But I also think about a lot of people's behavior around me that I can't always explain or don't understand. And I get frustrated by, hey, why aren't you happy? We should be grateful. We're not getting the old mentality. We got food in our belly. Other people are, they're starving. We're not getting shot at we should be grateful but it's hard to explain to to someone who's sick with an invisible specter holding them holding them back holding them down right
0: yeah so sometimes those comments while they might be helpful to put things in perspective might be hurtful in the way that it's not validating how you're feeling and so we are allowed to hurt say we're hurting and it's not up to somebody else to decide if we're allowed to or not. And so I think that when you talk about your loved ones and your children and your coworkers, the best thing we can do for their mental health is to validate how they're feeling. And so if somebody is saying that we're not having a good day and I'm struggling, well, you can validate that because I think the best thing to do is, well, I hear that you're struggling. Is there something I can do to help? is probably a better option than, well, a lot of people have it worse off than you. Fuck it up. Right? So <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. We hear it too much. We do. We hear it way too much that you don't have it that bad. And a lot of people have it worse. And what does that say to you if you're struggling? I don't want to talk about it. And I shouldn't feel this way. And maybe I feel guilty for feeling this way no, we don't want to feel guilt and we don't want to feel shame. And if we're feeling that way, we're allowed to. And we absolutely can be validated. And that's just the
1: only solution. I think a lot of it comes from the farming culture where it wasn't that long ago and you had to keep moving. You physically had to keep moving from dawn till dusk just to get it done. Now, now I think, let's be real. There are more options. I mean, we're pretty mechanized. We're pretty automated. You don't have to work like, like our grandfathers did, God bless them, yeah,
0: exactly. Thank you to them for doing all of that hard work so that we could have the innovation we do now and the farms that we do now. What a blessing my ninety eight year old grandfather tells me stories of the things they did, and it seems like it was a hundred years ago, which it almost was. but yeah, you just you can't even fathom the changes that have happened and And what a blessing. I think that those technological changes are akin to also what we're talking about right now and be more self-aware and talking about stuff. So it's great to see both of those things happening.
1: Yeah, I'm grateful for both the awareness and the technology that's come with time and and also with with age, being able to figure some of this out. So I'm looking at this laundry list, nutrition, exercise, therapy, gratitude, connection, self-confidence. I want to talk about boundaries too. What kind of came first? for you? Where does it all fit in the the journey and what's been really powerful for you? Break down some of the chapters in your book about the solutions here.
0: Okay, well, let's start with boundaries because you said what's the most important. I'm going to say boundaries. (laughs) (laughs) And I have a chapter, chapter five. Really? Okay, this is juicy.
1: This is happening in my life right now. I want to know.
0: Okay, so Bill, I talk about building fences. That's what chapter five is about. So on the farm, we have lots of fences. And if you have livestock, you can relate to this because you have to keep predators out and you have to keep the cows in. Okay, so let's just use that picture in your head right now, okay? So you are the cow, all right? You're in the fence. There's stuff coming at you all the time, all right? So somebody asks you to coach baseball. Well, I don't think I can coach baseball. So it's a hard no. No because I've got to be in the field and we've got seeding to do. Okay. So there's a boundary right there. Somebody asks you to bake muffins for a bake sale. Can't do that either. Sorry. I'm committed. My schedule is full. Can't do it. There's a lot of things that we say no to, but with boundaries, I also want to remind you that it can be the other way. Okay. So we're in the fence. What is the fence doing? It is Protecting what is important to us. So, what are the things that we really value? We need boundaries to protect those things too. So, it's not just to keep things out, it's protect the things that really matter. And so, when I talk about knowing yourself and knowing what's important and knowing what matters, are you doing those things? Are you protecting those things? Are you making time for those things? Because that is equally important. So, boundaries, they're a fence they're keeping stuff out. They're protecting what's in. They're not a wall. It's not a wall. You can still look over the fence. You can still talk to people. You're not blocking the whole world out. It's just a fence, but super important. And I would say that has been kind of a lesson in my life that I need to stand up and say what's important to me and be vocal about that, make everyone aware about that. And there's no shame in doing that. And we all need to do that if we want to look out for ourselves and our own mental health. You don't have to be rude, but you do have to be confident in saying what you want and when you need it and what you can't do and what you can do. And, and that has been a learning process for me, but gosh, such a rewarding one.
1: So rewarding. I saw that chapter and I was especially interested by it. And and specifically, what do you do with family members who think that they can go through the gate, regardless of the quality of your fence at will and are rather offended when you say, actually, no, this fence applies to you as well. I love you. Yeah. But this is also for you.
0: Yeah, that's hard. Those are hard conversations to have. I absolutely hear you. And we have them on the farm all the time, right? Like we all I know we all can relate to what you're talking about. I think that here's the thing. If your fence has been pushed on and leaning over a lot of years. People get used to that. And all of a sudden, when you put your fence back up and really are f- stern about what that fence means for you, people get uncomfortable because they're not used to it. So if, if you're somebody who has struggled with boundaries in the past, it's really that transition of putting them in place is going to be a tough one because it's going to make people uncomfortable. They're not going to be used to it. But after that transition is done, it will be worth it it will be worth it. And so you're right. Having those conversations are hard, but you have to say, no, that doesn't work for me. I'm not going to do that. That doesn't work for me. What else can we do? Simple as that. You're allowed to say that no matter what it is.
1: The funny part is when I reflect on what you're saying to me, the heavy lifting is establishing the, the nature of the fence and who it's for and what it means and why it's there. I think once it's done, there's a huge sense of relief on the part of the fence owner that finally, okay, my, my boundaries aren't being run over. And because when you, when you grant that access, it just more gets taken, doesn't it? I think you set healthy boundaries and I hope, I don't know if you have any advice on how to set or what is the difference of a healthy versus unhealthy boundary, if there's such a thing. But once you set that, it's, it's kind of crazy to me the result of how the respect flows from that. Once people know and understand it and it's been in place a while.
0: Yeah, I don't think necessarily there's a healthy or unhealthy boundary. I think it's it's something so specific to each person, each individual. You're right. The reward of knowing where they should be and what they are is going to pay dividends. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We were talking about nutrition before we went live. I just got my blood test back yesterday. The doctor phoned me and said, everything's amazing. I'm very healthy. And I just, I felt so, I felt so lucky and so blessed. And I was getting that blood test because I'm going back to the naturopath tomorrow, which some people think is sort of like a witch doctor. And I guess the equivalent would be snake oil doctor or whatever in in agriculture, which we talk about a lot of interesting things on the show, but I know food, what you put into your body becomes you. And the things that we eat in North America, I mean, you look around, like we were in Paris, we got off the plane in America. (laughs) Reminded about how, how overweight folks are in North America because of the diet. Walk me through nutrition, walk me through what it means for you and how you address that.
0: So just exactly what you said, that what we eat creates every cell in our body, right? And so if we want to feed our brain and have good mental health, we really need to eat really great food. So naturopathic medicine is amazing. So I will not say it's a witch doctor because I love it for the reason that you go back to basics and you go back to nutrition and all of the things that is going in our body. We want to prevent ailments, not treat them. With naturopathic medicines. We're preventing things. So a lot of when I work with my naturopath is is looking at going back to basics of what do I need? So am I deficient in a certain mineral or vitamin? How can I supplement that in what I'm eating? Let's let's see how we can change our diet. There's been so much talk lately. About nutrition. And so writing that chapter in my book was really the hardest because there's so many differing opinions, but let's be honest. We know what we need to eat. It is all the things that we have eaten for a long time. Meat is so important. <laughs> and I'm so tired of hearing people say that you shouldn't eat meat. Okay. It is the most nutrient dense thing we can eat. We need to eat it. We need the protein, vegetables and fruit. We know we need whole foods. I mean, it's pretty simple. And that's kind of what I wanted to give readers as a message is it's pretty simple stuff. Don't complicate it. It's not complicated. Go back to the basics and eat some whole food. And it's it's going to help your health and especially your mental health.
1: Especially mental health. I think it's one of the biggest factors. And the other thing is I find too... Okay, when I'm feeling fat, sorry, like when I'm feeling fat, I don't wanna leave the house. Like when I'm bloated, when I'm overeating, when I've put on too much weight, when I haven't brought all this together, it's, it's, I just feel, I feel super uncomfortable. I feel super uncomfortable in my clothes. I feel super uncomfortable in terms of flexibility and everything, which has become a lot bigger thing as I've gotten older. And I think part of the challenge too is, If you haven't really experienced wellness, if you've never been to that side of the fence, if you will, it's hard to have any perspective beyond your current state. So if you've never done 75 hard, or if you've never done a challenge, or you've never been consistent in your diet and your exercise, and maybe your therapy too, I challenge you because the wellness is on the other side is greater than probably anything you've currently experienced by a lot, Llewellyn.
0: You're absolutely right and 75 hard that in itself is hard so kudos to you for doing that challenge because that one is a hard one i've looked at that a few times and i'm like i'm oh, not there yet <laughs> not there yet no looks good i could do it but i'm not there yet but you're right you're absolutely right because i always say when i'm working out now i'm working out for my mental health i'm not working out for my weight. I'm not working out because I ate something that I shouldn't have. I'm working out for my mental health. And what a change in mindset, how valuable that has been for me is incredible because I, you talk about maybe today I feel fat. I, I, I those Those thoughts get less and less when you're doing things for your mental health. If you're doing everything for the sake of your mental health, those things come out of play. They just come out of play eventually. It's funny because I've had that in the past, but my mindset has changed so much that I go for a run in the morning and it's purely to feel good. And that's it. That's what it's for. Nothing else. The physical health, it comes with it. It just is tagged along.
1: I know what you mean. There was a time in my life, I think, when I had a lot of goals about hitting a certain weight or feeling a certain way in that regard about self-image. But now it's just so much about, I know what my day is like without it. And I know my, what my day is like with it. And I know yesterday I had a very difficult day and I wanted to get to the gym, but I prioritized a bunch of other work. And it just, it was a downward slope from there. It never got better. But today I knew that when I got to the gym and then I got back in time to give ride to school and I went to the office, I'm telling you, I felt like, The hardest part of the day was showing up at the gym was done and everything from there was doable. It was workable. Mm -hmm. I'm in the state. Mm -hmm. I feel great. And the tension that comes in your body from sitting in a tractor all day, from sitting in the office all day, from mulling on how to build your empire every day, we as men just associate our self-worth with what we have built. And if it's not going right, we're going to jump off the parapets of the castle. But, but if. At least if you lifted something heavy, especially as we get older as men, that's 80% of what counts, and the rest is just gravy, man. And if, if you got nothing else in the day, and that's what I loved about 75 Hard, when you worked out twice a day, first of all, you had a lot of time to process your business. You think it's not productive? Try walking 45 minutes every day outside. Of course, farmers get lots of windshield time, but I don't know if it's the same. That exercise is some of the best time to be processing what's next in your business. And it's probably one of the most profitable things you could do, I think. It's been good for me.
0: I completely agree with you. I think some of our best thoughts come when we're working out. It makes your brain work better. It just does. So I completely agree with you on that one. Absolutely.
1: So talk to me, where does therapy, counseling, all this stuff, where does it fit in? And I know for lots of people, that's a really tough one to get to. And we should be doing it preventively, but let's face it. We probably only go to therapy when our relationship's about to end, when our business is struggling, when we're so broken down, we don't want to. Trouble is, a good therapist can take a couple of weeks to get into. And by the time you get, if you live through it, it's like, actually, I'm feeling okay now. But how do we develop a proactive program around sharing our feelings in a professional circumstance?
0: Those are all good points. Those are all fantastic points. Because you're right. It's like, okay, I need to talk to somebody right now in a crisis. Oh, I can't get an appointment. Okay. Uh, Yeah. We're having trouble in our relationship. We need to get a counselor. Oh, okay. Well, it's going to be two weeks. Like you're right. When you're in the depth of those things in a crisis and you need help, it's sometimes hard to find it. So I will say this. I will say I like to pre-plan and have sessions on my calendar a few times a year and Granted, I will not be in a crisis, maybe when that appointment happens. But in those appointments, it's a good time to practice just talking and sometimes just working through things, just talking out loud and working through things. And sometimes you'll step away with coping skills or sometimes you'll take away a strategy that would work the next time that you're in crisis. Or there's a lot of things that you can take away. I think that it is a good investment of your time. Having said that, I know it is very hard to find somebody you click with. Sometimes it's hard to get an appointment. It's really great that we have resources like Manitoba Farmer Wellness, where you can pick up the phone and phone at any time. I mean, how great that you could just find a counselor if you need it and for free. That's also helpful because sometimes if we have to go to our doctor and get referred to a mental health worker, you're just not gonna do it, right? So those resources are great too, rely on those. But most importantly, how about our small towns? How about our loved ones? How about our neighbor? How about our friends? I think that those people play such a huge role and really ultimately leaning on the strength of other people in our small town is what's going to improve mental health collectively and I write a lot about that. This is a collective movement in our small towns, and we all have a responsibility to improve mental health together. We aren't supposed to do it alone. We shouldn't do it alone. And so while I think that counseling and therapy are really good things to access, we can't always rely on them. We can rely on the people in our lives, and we should. We should have those vulnerable conversations. And when we need help or we need to just talk to somebody, we need to be doing that.
1: It's been an amazing culture shift from where you and I grew up and the culture and the awareness has come so far that we can have these conversations now. And I think about the stats that come out of some of these places in the world that have the longest living people. And what we learn, a lot of it is about connection. And if you don't have the right connections in your life, and you don't have the right purpose that propels you. There was a study that they referred to the very first strategic coach that ever went to where they talked about people over the age of 80, statistically, without a partner, you perish shortly, like shortly, like a year or two. Without a purpose, you perish. You perish shortly, within a year or two, after the age of 80. What does that tell us about the health of spending quality time in the cultures around the world that have a four-day work week and they spend two hours at, in lunches with, with colleagues and friends and family and they, they go home at 7 p.m. and the, the, the supper takes all night and then they go to bed and it's all fellowship. That will keep you alive.
0: What a blessing, right? But sometimes we can't always do that here and especially on the farm. And so that's why if you're going to stop in the field for a meal, put down that tailgate, you put out the food, and y'all talk about how your day's going. And maybe it's not three hours, but maybe it's 30 minutes. And maybe that's what we need to fill our cup at that time, right? You're absolutely right. I think that those things are so valuable. How can we look for them and how can we find them in our schedule? How can we work them in? If we know that those things are important, we will prioritize them. So just knowing that, learning that that is important, connection is important, purpose, all of those things, work it in. Work it into whatever it is that's on your schedule. you got to get stuff done. I totally get it. I totally know what it's like on farm when you're running. Take 20 minutes. Take 30 minutes for the better of everyone.
1: When I was growing up, I, I don't even re- hardly remember a hired man. Cause my father did it all on the side while working at the mine, while working in crop insurance, while working at the John Deere store. Now there's a fantastic people, team of people out at the farm. And I think one of the greatest things that's happened in recent memory out there was they had a NASCAR simulation of a pit stop and there was different teams and you had to learn your roles and every time you went out and, and did the tire change. At the pit stop, there was a little lesson there and you got better and you learned your role. And it was so incredible. The teamwork was so amazing. I had another hired man who was running another farm and another, another area who saw that and just said, I think that is so awesome. I would love to be a part of that. And I wish that we had more. And growing up too, I mean, it was a lot about, the, oh, you gotta oh yeah, the hired man, to pay him 12 bucks an hour, whatever at the time, right? And they don't know how to run the auger. But now it's bringing people to a way of life in a community that they want to raise their kids and play hockey and attend school there and go to the ski hill and hunt and and fish and, and ride quads. It's a great life. But what's required for keeping people productive on the farm is so much different than our expectation in the fast. Well, I gave this guy twelve bucks for that hour of work. He should know how to he should have done it's almost a derogatory term at times, I think. Hired men. We've been around that culture a lot. Now it's about teamwork. People people demand that and as well they should, because it's back to purpose.
0: It is. And each person of the team is a valuable resource. I struggled a lot with not being in the field when my kids are small or making meals or I'm doing the books and my husband's pulling wrenches and he's working so hard. And yeah, well, I'm working hard too. It's every member of the team. Like I struggled with what my role is and is it important? Well, yes, heck yes, it's important. And every role on the farm is important. It doesn't matter what your role is. So you're right. If you're a hired man, or if you're making the meals or if you're doing the books or whatever your role is, gosh, it's important. I mean, we need all of those people. We need all of those things. And, and it is a community. It is a team and we're all on the same team. Like that's just the way it has to be. That's the way a good work environment is going to be. And I would argue that if you want to be efficient, you need to look after your team first, honestly, without it. What do you have? If you're a one-man show, you're going to get burnt this out. This
1: is important for our businesses, for our families.
0: Yeah. Like the one-man show was out of circumstance because, man, those bills had to get paid and there was not a lot to go around. So it was work as hard as you can, make sure those bills are paid. And and sometimes, sometimes we have to do those things. But when we have a team behind us, all the better, right?
1: Often for a man, it's easier to go to work, to go to war, to go to battle, to do those activities and to try and address something in your personal relationship or your family, maybe, or maybe it's community or whatever, that you don't have the tools for, you don't have the understanding you're not equipped for, not like you can go fix that thing in the shop or in the field or just get it done, make it black. I think that's what my father struggled with at times the most is trying to figure out the family dynamics, especially... <laughs> When his oldest turned out to be a pretty wild rebel and thank God for Terry to come up behind there and just reassure him that he did have a farmer <laughs> and it was all going to be okay. Not that it was ever really important to dad in that in that aspect and he was always very encouraging about whatever we wanted to do. But how do you work around some of this stuff? I mean, legit, we can talk about whatever we want, but logistically it's pretty tough to just leave the swather and go to a therapy appointment or come to work later because you were working out or eat right. I mean, I don't know what it's like to be in a cab and you got X amount of snacks and you're trying to plot the trajectory of that going down your gullet, but it doesn't work out that way. I mean, there's a lot of roadblocks, even beyond the culture. We've talked about that, but physically, physical roadblocks in a small town to doing these things that we in urban centers enjoy, can go to the gym before work, can eat, eat healthier, can pick up fresh food on the way from the grocery store when we come home from the office, how do you get around the physical roadblocks to wellness on the farm?
0: I talk a lot about that in my book. And honestly, I'm not going to lie. It is harder where I am physically located right now than where you are. Okay. Because if I want to work out, I'm hitting a gravel road. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go, I'm going to go run on the gravel. I'm not going to a fancy gym. And if I want to eat healthy, yeah, I have grocery stores near me, but you know what's easier? I'm going to plant a garden. Well, the garden's a ton of work. I love my garden, but it's a ton of work. So if I want to eat healthy, I'm going to plant a big garden. I'm going to be sitting in a tractor cab for the next few weeks for seeding. Am I going to be getting all of the things that I need? Well, it'll be less than when I'm not in a tractor cab. I will tell you that. But here's the thing. If we strive for those things 80% of the time, we're going to get we're going to get them if we if if we don't strive for them, we're not going to get them. So this is what I talk about prioritizing and boundaries for your mental health is. I have a boundary that I need to go and work out for 20 minutes before I get in the tractor because if I sit in a tractor cab for 400 hours by myself, I'm not going to be in a good mood. Okay. So I need to go run for 20 minutes. I'm going to go do it. I'm going to go. Not gonna be able
1: to move either.
0: Yeah. I'm going to go run and I'm going to put something in the crock pot that's healthy because I know we're going to have to eat later or I'm going to ask my mother-in-law to help with food so that I know that something is planned for supper later when we need it, because that's going to be a pinch too. And I'm going to get some help because the kids need to go to ball practice or dance or whatever. So I'm going to have to employ some help there. So. the roadblocks are everywhere. Absolutely. And then throw, throw a wrench in the plans when somebody gets stuck and you got to go pull them out and then you need to be on the phone with CRA and then somebody else needs a ride from town and you need parts. And you know what it's like, (laughs) like it's just, they're, they're everywhere all the time. So you can't control your environment and that's not what we're trying to do because that's not helpful. We can't have control all the time. But we just just need to be aware, and just look at okay, what can I do for myself that's going to make today a little easier.
1: I'm thinking, you know what's great about farming and what's great about running a business is, I think over time our capacity to deal with bigger and bigger problems grows, and and there's so much satisfaction in that. Knowing when when, when we're younger, of course, I'm on the spectrum for for being rather excitable. It seems like the world's ending, but you get a little bit older. I guess the parable is as an old bull, you're kind of walking down the hill, not running down the hill. But yeah, it's so much better as you get old and realize. I mean, these things will come and go, but it's not the end of the world.
0: The wisdom of growing older. I mean, that's valuable, right? Absolutely. The wisdom of growing older. Yeah. If I could tell my 20 year old self a lot of things, I'd probably sit her down and buckle up. Here we go. I'm gonna tell you some stuff. But no, we can't always have the wisdom of that. Sometimes, (laughs) sometimes you can tell somebody till you're blue in the face, you should do this, you should do this, but you only learn by doing. So that is the way of the world, right? So.
1: Well, it's so fascinating too, because whether it's employees or kids, you want to get in there and tell them how it is and you want to set up consequences and stuff like that. But the reality is if we can just love and accept people where they're at and have some understanding and think about ourselves at that age, I mean, I look at the kids, the teenagers now in our lives, and I look at some of my younger employees and I think about where I was at at those ages. They're doing doing just fine. Thank you. They're doing very well. Yes, they're making some of the mistakes that I made, which really frustrates me to see someone else do it. Maybe that's why it bugs me so much because I know better now and they should be more like I am now when it comes to cleanliness and godliness and whatever else things we think behooves us. But really... I mean, how did that go over when people tried to tell us anything, Llewellyn?
0: (laughs) Yeah, probably not very good. Yeah, I can admit to that. (laughs) Stubborn is a word I know very well.
1: I'm sure it serves you well, given all, all the things that you've done. We're getting close to wrapping this up, but I wanted to ask you about gratitude. One of the, one of the greatest blessings from Andy Frisell is his equation for happiness. That when you practice, works very well. It's doing seventy five hard. That happiness equals discipline plus gratitude. You apply discipline to your life, and you're grateful for your life. And that's kind of it. That's kind of it. What is where does gratitude come into the context of your book and and your journey with mental health?
0: Gratitude is something that I've had to learn really honestly because it's a skill I feel like I feel like it's a skill I have a practice that I do every night and so I write down five things that I'm grateful for from that day and I do it every night before I go to bed I have a notebook beside my bed and it has become a really important ritual for me because I throughout the day We'll look for those things. And so for an example, today I went outside to drive my kids to the bus. We have a little bit of a drive. We have to take them a few miles to catch the bus here. So we walked outside and the first thing I heard this morning were the loons calling. So I love loons. First of all, like love them. I think they're the greatest thing ever. And when I hear them calling, It's like, oh my gosh. It's just like so special on my heart. And I was so grateful that I heard that this morning. It's so simple, but it's something that, well, if you're looking for something, you'll find it. So that's a practice that's been really important. Another thing that I do with my kids is before bed, when I tuck them in, I say, what was the best thing about your day? And so it's really great because it's, them kind of telling me what they're grateful for. And we do that every night with them too. So I'm trying to teach them at a younger age how it's important, how to look for things, what you're grateful for. Where's the gratitude? I think it's a good skill to learn.
1: I love that. One of the greatest things in our lives is sitting around the kitchen table with loved ones. And it's it can be corny and it can be uncomfortable. And Uncle Terry always makes us do it. But... <laughs> man, when you go around that table and when you hear what everybody's grateful for and you have some laughs and some people are long and some people are short, as you can imagine, me and my brother are what some of the longer speakers. It's just incredible. And it's incredible how like the, the juices flow, the chemistry flows from somewhere. Who knows where that comes from, but it's a feel good chemistry. It's a drug. You feel great. And there's nothing better than being around loved ones that are happy and healthy and we're all so blessed. It's incredible. I love that you do that. I mean, this is a huge thing that you've done with writing a book. I admire it so much. I mean, I'm looking at the cover of your book and your website, and I'm just so proud of you and for you. Well,
0: thanks.
1: Like, what, what what's the biggest thing you learned writing this book and like the self-reflection and then the sharing and you're on TV and people are reading your book? And what's the biggest sum it all? Wrap it all up for us here.
0: Okay. What's the biggest
1: thing I've learned? There's so much. I don't even know where to start.
0: I've learned that I found my voice. There's a, there's a big aspect of music in this book. I rely on music kind of as a tool for my mental health. And so I kind of have like song cues throughout the book, but when I say I've found my voice, it's like, there's so much, I guess, healing in telling my story is what I found. And with as much fear that there maybe was in sharing my story, there's so much healing that's come with it. So it was a huge undertaking. I'm not going to lie. Will I ever write another one? Maybe not. I'm not really sure. When I get, like we were talking about being stubborn, when I kind of pick a project, I kind of see it through, which sometimes is to a fault. I will admit that. But I'm at no regrets at all. Super glad I did it. It's helping other people, and I love to hear the feedback from readers. Now people reading it, and so all of the intentions that I had with putting it out—it's kind of coming full circle now. So, yeah, I learned. I learned a ton, but in the end, really, it was a lot of a lot of healing on my end.
1: Reading through your book, skimming through it, one thing that caught my eye was there was a moment where you declared. I will write a best-selling book.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Talk about writing down your goals. I wrote that down for a lot of days. I wrote that down, put it on paper and I had that goal. I wanted to do it. It was, it was a calling. I had to do it. So I was all in.
1: Proud of you. Hell of a job. Unbelievable. And doing a lot of good in the world, really doing a lot of good in the world. How would people find you and find this book, read this book, be better, live better, Live with wellness.
0: Well, you can find my book at luellenmelnick.com, which is my website. You can also find it on Amazon. And you may be able to find it in your small town library if you're from Manitoba or Saskatchewan. (laughs) You can request it if you can't find it. (laughs) I've hit a lot of small towns, so it's in a lot of small town stores around here as well. But yeah, I urge people just to keep talking. And if you need help, make sure you ask for help. There's no shame in it. Everybody deserves to get help if they need it. And maybe as easy as talking to somebody, just having a conversation that you haven't had that you need to have. So don't think it's complicated. Go back to the basics.
1: It's simple, but not easy, is it? That is true. Thank you, Llewellyn, for what you've done here.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode we really appreciate that you'd spend some of your valuable time with us we would like to give a shout out to steven and veronica and the whole team of pod sound school for their talent and hard work in editing and producing these episodes be sure to check them out at www.podsoundschool.com also nicole Duby from Auber Heart egg solutions thank you so much nicole's really passionate about making these episodes come to life and sharing them with you please let's stay in touch. You can communicate with us on any of the social media platforms. You can also check us out on YouTube and sign up for our newsletter growingthefuturepodcast.ca so you don't miss an episode. Do not forget to check out the Aberhart family of companies online too: eberhardfarms.com, suregrowth.ca, convergencegrowth.com, and eberhardeggsolutions.ca. Links are in the episode notes. We would love to hear from you. Reach out and tell us what you like about the show or what we could do to improve upon this And we will send you some free swag until next episode, folks. Let's keep it real growing the future together.